Amen. Have a seat. And howdy. Howdy. Well, yes, we are back, and we are excited to be back here week two in the college service. So glad you guys have joined us this morning. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus. And uh, for those of you, yeah, if this is your first time, I want to give you a little overview of what stuff looks like here. The first thing that we're going to do when you come is we're going to worship God together. And so we have a a phenomenal band that's going to usher us into the presence of God. Can you give them a hand? Thank you so much for leading us so well. So great. The the second piece that we're going to do is that we're going to open up the Word of God. We're going to study the Word of God together and and make it apply to our lives in a way that's helpful in life. So we're going to open and study the Word of God together. Uh, And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. So you can be flipping there and I'll tell you the last piece that we do. The last piece that we have uh, is this. We want to, once we break out from this moment, we go um, out into the cafeteria and we have an amazing table host. And so if you're a table host, would you go ahead and stand up right now? Go ahead and stand up for a moment so people can see it. Yeah, give me that. Awesome, awesome. These individuals, these are adults, uh, you know, the other side of college, like that realm exists, and, and they are here with the passion and heart to connect with you and help you navigate your season of life. And so after the service, we have discussion there, and that's really just the start of the relationship. Well, the, those table hosts really want to invest in you and connect with you, and so that's why we have that portion of our service. Um, the last piece is this. Uh, we have... Um, a, we're partnered with the Uversion app, and so all of our sermon series are going to be um, part of the Uversion app. So if you search God of Creation throughout the week, you can go through a devotional time um, with the content that we're teaching over a given Sunday. So you can actually track along through the week with our devotional that's on the Uversion app. If you search God of Creation, you can get it. We had, uh, I think, six or 700 people uh, sign up last week, and so we're looking to beat that. So grab your phone, grab the Uversion app, and you can follow along with us as part of this service or part of this series. Okay, with that, I'm going to read some Bible, get going. Y'all ready? Okay, let's do this. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 1. I'm going to jump a couple different places. So Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 1. It says this, Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her welfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert highways for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the Lord has spoken. Jump over to verse 11. He, that's God, will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in the measure and weighed the, balance, the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him to his counsel? Whom did he consult when he made him, who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust in the scales. We pray for us. 
Lord, thank you so much that we get to gather here and study your word together. And I thank you that we, we can get to know you and live for you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at this text in Isaiah, that you would open our hearts, that we might be people to know you and love you and trust you in the circumstances of our daily life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of us here think we're pretty smart. That's why you're at A&M, right? So you're smart. I mean, you got into the school and you are starting your education process or you're midway or you're near the tail end of it. Like, you are pretty smart. Some of you are engineers. Yes. Oh, major rivalries. I didn't realize that, right? You are, some, I mean, A&M is literally making rocket scientists. I mean, you guys are going to be, yeah, you're studying things and you're going to launch stuff into space or help planes and you're absolutely amazing. That's well beyond my skills. Others, use, others of you are in business and you're going to go, yeah. Safe place, people, safe place, all right. And you're going to make and lead multi-million dollar corporations. You're going to be absolutely amazing. You're going to help us make better decisions in business. You're being educated to go there. Some of you are in the field of education. Good. And you're going to make billions of dollars teaching and, you know. Through the lives of others, right? And so you're going to educate that young generation so they continue to lead well. And we're so thankful that you are pouring your lives and going to pour your lives into the lives of younger people to help them become better. Some of you are in liberal arts. We can do this, people. We will sell things. We will go to law school. We will go to other schools that are unnamed, like the, I don't know, we're going to go to those schools, and we're going to be amazing, or we're going to do whatever we can to help. And some of us are going to go into ministry, like me, and we're going to be amazing in that realm, right? Some of you are in agriculture, the ag school, and you guys are amazing. You're going to help us to farm better and make better products, or at least lead us there, ag leaders. Um, And you're going to help us do good things. Some of you are in biology, and you're going to go into medicine, That was my wife, and so she went to the veterinary school here, and so she studied those things there. Some of you are in Parks and Rec. Gregory's Parks and Rec. I'm just seeing who we got here in the room and uh, who we can hiss at. No one hissed at the rec people. Um, A little nicer to those folks. They're going to make us have fun, right? They're going to make life enjoyable, okay? And for all of us, like we're studying these things and we are all pretty smart. We are pretty smart in this room. We didn't get into A&M or into the school because we were not intelligent. We are pretty smart people. But the problem is this. We're all going to come to a moment and a circumstance in life when things are too complex for us to do. When the challenges we face are bigger than what we are prepared for, all of us will face that moment when life becomes too complex. And it could be simple things, like you get Ikea furniture and you're putting that together, and that's, that's just too much for you, right? <laughs> or you're going to be graduating and you're going to be like, how do I find a job? How do I find a career? 
Or you're going to be trying to make decisions to navigate your future. Maybe you're thinking about getting married to this person or not. And you're like, should we, should we get married, engaged now? Or should we go live in Dallas first for a little while and then see how we're... Like, there's all of those relational navigations that you'll have to go. It's complex. And some of you, you're going to face struggles in life, challenges in life that are going to make you go, God, I don't know if you're here. I don't know if you're real. I don't know why you're leading my life this way. Because you're smart. But you're going to come into circumstances that are beyond your ability to navigate. And that's where this nation of Israel is in this moment. See, in chapter 39, we didn't read it, but in chapter 39, there was a king who was at one time a great king in the nation of Israel. His name was Hezekiah. And he was leading the people in a great way. He was a young king when he started, but at the end of his life, his life took a turn. And he began to rest on his laurels. He became uh, convinced that that nothing was going to stop him from being successful in life. And at one point, um, people from a foreign nation, Babylon, started coming to Israel. And he opened up the storehouses of his treasury. He showed him all of the wealth and splendor of Israel. And then a prophet named Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, what did you do? And he said, what are you talking about? He's like, what did you show those foreign leaders? And he goes, well, I, I showed them showed everything. There was nothing I held back. And he goes, those people are going to come back. And they're going to take your sons and make them units, eunuchs in his house. They're going to serve that king. And they're going to ravage this nation. And Hezekiah says this, well, at least there will be peace in my day. Ooh. Well, at least we'll be fine. Now think about it. When your leaders are only looking after their own welfare, how do the people feel? Abandoned. That's how they felt. Like they felt literally abandoned. What is God going to do if our leaders aren't leading us well? The people feel abandoned. And so that's why Isaiah speaks in Isaiah chapter 40 from God to say, no, 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 God has not abandoned you. God has not left you. God is aware of the circumstances and he has arranged the circumstances of life to protect you. To care for you. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 9, says it this way. It says, go to the high mountain of Zion. Go herald of good news. Lift up your voice of strength, O Israel. Herald the good news. Go to the high mountain of Zion. Herald the good news. Like there's, there's good news coming, in case you didn't pick that up, right? Lift up your voice, O Jerusalem. Herald the good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with his might and his arms for rule. Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. He says, God has not abandoned you. He will remember you. He will gather you like a shepherd to his bosom. Now, those are nice words that God can say. But if you're like me, you're a realist. You're going to go, okay, God, prove it. Prove that you have the ability and desire to actually help me. Prove that you're actually going to gather and care for me because it feels like the leaders are making poor decisions and our life is going in a bad direction. We're still going to be carried off to Babylon. God, will you prove that you have the intelligence to help me in my deepest need? And God does. Because God has done this. He has arranged the circumstances of life, the creation of the universe, with such intricacy, with such intelligence, with such intentionality that he can help you navigate through your circumstances of life. 
And for most of us here, we probably got one of three views of God. One of our three views of God is this. One view, um, I'm going to give by example over here. So if you are my two volunteers that are going to be in this section, come up over here. Hey, give them a hand as they come up. Some of us, y'all are going to stay right there. Some of us have a view of God where we've got places we want to go in life or things that God wants us to do in life, but we don't think God is actually guiding us well. We think God is kind of like the blind leading the blind. And so these two men are going to close their eyes. And this is how some of us feel when we have our circumstances of life. It's like the blind leading the blind. I'm going to put this out here. Be ready for it. It's a beach ball. It's safe. All right. Your responsibility in a minute is going to be to find that. Hold on to it. Our two volunteers here. Who's our two volunteers for the center? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Two volunteers for the center. Come right here. Some of us have this view of God. We believe God uh, knows what he's doing. Here, one of y'all sit right here. You're God. Perfect. Um, Well done, Micah. Micah, God. Uh, Like, God knows what he's doing. His eyes are out there. He sees what's happening, but we're still blind, okay? We don't know what's going on, and we don't know how to navigate anything in the world. He hasn't left us with with any clue. What he's done is thrown ideas out into the world, good catch, and said, I'm going to shout directions at you and hope you figure out how to navigate life. We'll get there in one second. And others of us have what I would call the biblical view. And we're missing, there it is, there it is. <laughs> the biblical view is actually this, that God has arranged all of life for a grand purpose. Preston, you're going to be God today. And he is going to arrange it purposefully. Perfect. Whenever you're going to be done arranging, that's great. And, uh, and not only has he put things in place purposefully, he knows how to help us navigate the challenges of life. Some of us view God as blindly in the blind. Some of us lead, believe he's just shouting instructions. Some of us know for a fact that God is, is knowing what is go, where life is going and can lead us there. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to see how the different views of God play out. So, person who's blindly in the blind, keep your eyes closed. Next person with eyes closed, move that ball around a little bit because I think his eyes were open. Where's the ball? Can pass it to a friend. Pass it to a friend. There, there, there's your new friend. All right. We're going to keep your eyes closed. And we're going to go find it. Listen to the voice of God. Lead people and help figure it out. Ready, set, go. Turn to the right. Stop. Go forward. Forward, forward, forward. Stop. Left. Turn to the left. Go forward. forward. Now, I know life is more complicated than this, so we need noise to make things a little bit difficult. Life is complicated. Come forward, come forward. All right, come forward when you're done. All right, pause, pause. All right. All right, come on forward, come on forward. Everyone can open their eyes. Come on forward, come on forward. Give them the ball. All right, all right, we're done. Perfect. All right, give him a hand. Awesome, awesome. 
Give them a hand as they sit down. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Great job. Pass the ball to a friend. The truth is this. We wonder if God is actually seeing what's going on in creation. That's a silly, simple example. But let me tell you, let me tell you this. That is going to be crucial for you to know in life. Not only does God see what's happening, he is helping you to guide through circumstances of life, like this last group. He knows where he's put things, and he is there intentionally leading us in how to live life. He has arranged the circumstances, and he is helping us to navigate those circumstances. And that's, he proves it by us looking at creation. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12, he then goes and describes how intentional he was in creation. Let me just tell you this. As I was studying the intentionality of God, of how he perfectly arranged everything, the, the intentionality, the precision is absolutely amazing. I want to show it to you from this text. In verse 12, it says this, Now he who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or marked off the heavens with a span, or enclosed the dust of the earth, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. And I want you to... Look at a couple words that he repeats over and over again in this section. He asks the question, who has measured, meaning who has determined the distance? And he says, who has marked off the heavens with a span? The span was actually a unit of measure that they would use. It was the distance between pinky and thumb. It was the way they would determine measurements for cloth and other things. Who's measured it out with the span of his hand? Who's measured and weighed the mountains in scales? Think about this. When you are cooking biscuits... You measure out certain amounts to make proper biscuits, right? You have utensils to measure that. God says, I measured out the mountains. Mount Everest, yeah, it's like that much. Like he measured out each of these things and weighed the hills in a balance. And here's what he's saying. God proves he's able to help you because he is calculated in creation. And scientists have studied this. Scientists have studied the level of precision that is required for life to exist. Scientists have looked and said, okay, what level of precision are we talking about? And I would say it this way. There is perfect placement. The way I would say is this, uh, our first example is, is that of the Earth's placement. This is uh, your solar system, our little neck of the woods in the universe. And the planets go along this way. We've got Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and Uranus, and Neptune, and Pluto. We just don't know, Pluto. We don't know how to, how to define you yet. And Earth, we are that, uh, that third planet from the sun with that little circle around it. And let me tell you about why that is absolutely perfect. That is called the Goldilocks Zone. That scientists call. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Goldilocks and the three bears, uh, she raided a bear's house and tried to figure out what she liked from the bear's house and then just stole from the bears. Like, that's the storyline. One bed was too hard, one was too soft, the other just right, right? The, the food was too hot, too cold, just right. So that's the story of Goldilocks. And, and the earth is put in this perfect place for life to thrive. Had we been a little closer, like, uh, like Venus, we would be too hot for life to exist, if we're a little bit further, like Mars or, or Saturn for sure, Jupiter, life would be too cold for it to exist. All those planets are hot, but we would be too cold, too distant from the sun for life to thrive. We were perfectly placed, but not only are we perfectly placed in distance from the sun, in that Goldilocks zone, there's a second truth, and that's this, that we have a moon orbiting us. 
Now, other planets have moons. You may be like, what's the big deal? I think there's a lot of moons. I watched movies, and they had like multiple moons in the sky. What's, what's the difference for this moon? Well, the Earth sits at a 23.5 degree tilt, which is crucial. Because when that, our Earth rotates around at that 23.5 degrees, the moon actually holds it in that orbit specifically. And if the moon wasn't there to hold it at that 23.5 degrees, the earth would tilt more on its axis, throwing us, throwing weather patterns into disarray. We would have more ice ages and, and different crazy weather patterns. The moon actually stabilizes the earth in space at that perfect angle, and it only uh, wobbles just fractions of a percent uh, throughout all of time, maybe, maybe, to, maybe up to 24 degrees, and that's about it. It keeps us there stabilized. It's perfectly placed in the solar system. But not only that, scientists have studied another principle called the anthropic principle. And that means this, for those of you who aren't familiar with that. It means that Earth is finely tuned for life to exist. The parameters of creation are finely tuned for life to exist. And if they weren't finely tuned for life to exist, life could not exist. So there's an article um, on NOVA, PBS. Thank you, PBS. And they ask this question, is the earth finely tuned? Can we know that, that the parameters for different elements had to be at this level? Well, there was one scientist, and her name is Sandra Faber, and she's an a astrologer. And she went to uh, Moana Key, which is an area in Hawaii, to look at the stars. I can't think of a better job. Like, what is your job? I go to Hawaii, and I look at the stars. Rough life, right? <laughs> and she was studying this particular region called the um, Extended Gothic Strip. And, and so this is one image of it. But, but we know uh, from other images that it probably looked more like it's where Ursa Major is, where the Big Dipper is in the Milky Way galaxy. And as this interviewer is interviewing Sandra, she says this, Around midnight, Sandra Faber wrapped up her observations, and we stepped out for a few minutes under the night sky. And Sandra says this, I take comfort in the fact that it is a beautiful universe, and we belong here, that we fit, Faber mused. This is our home. Sandra Faber is a professor of the University of California, Santa Cruz, and she's referring to the idea that there's something uncannily perfect about the universe. The laws of physics and the values of physical constants seem, as Goldilocks said, just right. If even one of the host of physical properties of the universe had been different, stars, planets, and galaxies would never have formed. Life would have been impossible. There's an author named Francis Collins, and he wrote the book, The Language of God. He was uh, one of the scientists that founded the Human Genome Project that mapped the DNA structures of human life. And he says this, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear forces, etc., that have precise values. And if they had been off, if one of these constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases, one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, stars, or planets, or people. If the, if the precision was not so perfect, 
life could not exist. And science, scientists marvel at this. Sandra Faber, one of those scientists, marvels at this. She says, I can't believe this. And so she goes on in that Nova article to say this. That night, Faber declared, there are only two possible explanations for this fine-tuning. One is that there is a God, and that God made it that way, she said. But for Faber, as an atheist, divine intervention wasn't the answer. She said, here's my other answer. The only other approach that makes any sense is to argue that there was literally an infinite or very big ensemble of universes out there. That's the multiverse theory, that there's multiple universes, and this is just one of the realities amongst many. But here's why they came up with that idea. Because everything is so perfect in this universe. The odds of it landing so perfectly are so small, we must come up with another option. There are multiple universes out there. And in Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, he says, yet there's not a shred of proof that that's real. That there are multiple universes. The Bible says God created this and he perfectly placed everything, fine-tuned all of creation, the placement of the planets, the cells, the, the, the strong and weak nuclear forces of atoms, everything perfectly for life to exist. And Isaiah says it this way in verse 13. He says, who's measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice or taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? He says, God measured all of these things out and he wasn't consulting anyone. He wasn't having anyone speak into that. He says, I perfectly placed everything and I have the intelligence to put everything where it needs to be for life to thrive. But not only did he intentionally put everything in creation, He knows his creation. He goes on, jump down to verse 25. He says it this way. To whom would you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these. He's saying, look up to the skies. Who created those, Israel? He says, he brings out their host. That host is stars by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He says, look, I want you to take a look up into the heavens. And I want to tell you something about all of those stars in the sky. I call them by name. You ever wondered how many stars there actually are in the heavens? Here's one question that some people would ask to determine that. How many stars are there in the heavens? NPR article um, on one author said this. They would ask the question, which is greater, the number of grains of sand on earth or the number of stars in the sky? You ever played that trivia question? Which number is bigger? The answer is this. Science writer David Blattner in his new book, Spectrum, says a group of researchers from the University of Hawaii were being well-versed, they're well-versed in all things beachy, tried to calculate the number of grains of sand, right? So they went after this, and they said, if you assume a grain of sand has an average size, and you calculate how many grains are in a teaspoon, and then multiply that by all the beaches and deserts in the world, the earth has roughly, and we're speaking very roughly here, 7.5 times 10 to the 18th power grains of sand. Or, if you're counting, 7 quintillion 500 quadrillion grains. That's a lot of grains. Well, how many stars do we have? 
Well, we would need to get a Hubble Space Telescope. And I'm sorry my slides have uh, busted up, but let me read it to you this way. If you got a, te- a Hubble uh, Space Telescope and looked with a calculator, we can count the distance of faint stars and red dwarfs, everything we've ever recorded in the sky, and boom. Now the population of the stars jumps enormously to 70,000 million, million, million stars in the observable universe. That's a 2003 estimate. So that we've got multiple stars for every grain of sand. We have multiple stars for every grain of sand in the universe. And God says, do you think I care about you and your problems? I've called every star by name. Let's just take a moment and think about your last beach vacation. You were there with a bucket and sand. And just take a moment, and you got all of that, that bucket and all that sand, and you dumped it out into your little pail, and say you were a really dedicated little uh, sandcastle maker, and you wanted to make sure that each piece of sand was cared for and loved. And so you took it upon yourself to name each grain of sand. Think about that for a moment. I, you know, you can start like, hey, that's Benny, that's Jimmy, that's, you know, like you could start... But as soon as you get to a handful, let me tell you, you'll run out of names and your memory will fail you, right? There's absolutely no way you could remember every grain of sand and every name in the palm of your hand. But God says, look this, I scatter the stars in the skies and the heavens. There are stars out there that you haven't even seen yet, but I know them by name. There are stars that you will never see in your lifetime. But I know all of creation by name. But not only that, I know the struggle of everything in creation. Nothing is hidden from my sight. Verse 27, he says it this way. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Have you ever felt like that? That God doesn't see my problems. He doesn't see my struggle. God says, look, I've, I've named every star in the heavens. Do you think I don't know your name? Do you think I don't care for you? I've got four kids. And my four children love, absolutely love, stuffed animals. We have more stuffed animals than grains of sand on all the beaches of the earth, right? Like we've got... Bunch of them, and, and as I was showing one of the other pastors, all of our stuffed animals um, in our in our house and family and life, um, he said, "Hey, are these all your stuffed animals?" I said, "No, this is the ones that fit in this bucket um, that I have." And what's crazy <laughs> is they know each stuffed animal animal by name, and they know if just one is missing. So if Branch doesn't make it, like they know what's going on. In fact, my son Jesse actually has three stuffed animals that he loves, which I could not bring. Um, They are called dodos. They're little animals. And at one point in time, one of the dodos had a little cut on it that he had done himself. He was upset, and so he cut it with scissors, and uh, and it was tragic. (laughs) And for a month, every night when I would tuck him in, he would hold up his dodo. He says, hey, when are you going to fix my dodo. And I said, but you've got like more stuffed animals. Like you're fine. He's like, but when's my dodo going to be fixed? 
And my wife's a veterinarian, so finally she took him to the vet clinic. <laughs> Put the dodo under anesthesia. Um, you see the canisters in the back. Uh, started doing surgery on him, and, uh, and then he's, he's fine, people. Fear not. Dodo survived. He's back with the babies. <laughs> see, God knows your name. And he knows your struggles. And to prove it to the nation of Israel, he says, look up. I know all of them by name. And I know you. Don't feel like your way is hidden from me. I know all of you by name. And I know every one of your struggles. And not only that, I intercede. I will come into your life. I won't stand here, hit problems out into the world for you to go find blindly. This is not a blind leading the blind. And I, won't, I don't just shout from the sidelines. I don't just stand here and go, like, figure it out. Go that way, go that way. I don't, I don't shout from the sidelines. I take you by the hand, and I will lead you and to help you navigate the circumstances of life. Verse 28, he says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He says, God doesn't get Tired. That word everlasting means going on forever. And that doesn't just mean in size. God is big. He's outside of space and time. He is big. But more than that, he understands everything. You don't have a problem that's too big for him to solve. You have never encountered a circumstance that he isn't aware of or know how to navigate through. He is the everlasting God. And not only that, he's the empowering God. He says he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He says, look, Israel... You're going to be taken off to Babylon and you're going to be there for a period of time. But let me tell you what, I will bring you back because I care for you and I love you and I will bring you back. And he does. And that's what the book of Nehemiah records. When the nation, Ezra and Nehemiah, comes back to their own land and begins. Let me tell you what, God desires to empower your life. He's the everlasting God, and he's the empowering God. And I don't know what you're facing in life, and sometimes you can feel afraid that God doesn't know, or God doesn't care, or he's not smart enough to help you in your struggle. And he says, look at the stars, I know them all. Look at all of creation, I've arranged it in this perfect way. And when Jesus walked on the face of the earth, His disciples were encountering this moment of worry. Some people were coming and there's like, there's all sorts of worry within me. And he says this, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? It's like they're cheap. They're, they come and they go. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered. And for some of you, that's harder than others. says fear not you are more of more value than many sparrows does God care you bet he does 
He arranged all of history so that in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. He sent Jesus Christ. He arranged all of creation so at the right time, his son would come and he would teach you to have a relationship with him. You want to know how to navigate life? You come to the son, Jesus Christ, who paid it all for you, that you might have a relationship with him. I pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that you have arranged all of creation purposefully. And I thank you that we find ourselves in the middle of creation and that we are not forgotten, we are not lost. We are known by you, the Father. And Lord, I know there's many of us here this morning that are concerned about so many things in life. I pray that we might come to you, Jesus, find rest in your presence, trusting you and your plan, your guidance of our lives. So your name we pray, amen.